Hi, listeners, and welcome back. Before today's episode, let me remind you about our upcoming CME event, Extremities in the Carolinas, Arthritis to Arthroplasty. This is May 20th through the 21st, which is a long weekend. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Hilton Charlotte Uptown. The focus will be on upper and lower extremity osteoarthritis and arthroplasty. And with the live meeting and successful completion of the accompanying self-assessment exam, it'll be worth more than 20 hours of category one credit. Please hurry and sign up today as space is limited. The Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome today, Dr. Edward Rosero, sports medicine physician at the Rothman Orthopedic Institute, who contributed a recent article in Orthopedics Today on eSports. Dr. Rosero, thanks for coming on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Can you please explain to our listeners just what is eSports and maybe some associated injuries and how you manage them? Esports is a division of sports that includes video games. So this includes competitive video games such as first-person shooters. Uh, There's also other types of strategy games that are being played. And this is done competitively where it's one person versus another one. And it's done, can be done on a recreational or professional level. Some of the associated injuries are really dissimilar to other overuse injuries that people might suffer who have, say, a desk job. Uh, These can include, say, wrist and elbow tendinopathies such as radial styloid tendinitis, intersection syndrome, amirolateral epicondylitis. Also common is neuropathies such as carpal tunnel syndrome or cubital tunnel syndrome. And finally, there's always uh, spine-related pain, whether it's neck or low back pain, and that can be with or without ridiculous symptoms. Admittedly, I know very little about competitive gaming. In my day, we had Ms. Pac-Man, and that was about it. So... <laughs> Not I'm dating myself, I'm sure, uh, give some younger folks a chuckle. Reading the article, there are hundreds of millions of gamers and viewers that actually participate in this. I just never knew. Those numbers have continued to grow. And as Dr. Rosero said, the associated injuries. Do you manage these any differently when someone presents with these problems? Or is it a similar kind of management as, like you said, the people that do administrative work and that kind of thing? Honestly, the medical approach to treating these patients is no dissimilar from treating other patients. Obviously, everything just is depends on the diagnosis. The number one thing I try to look at, number one, is ergonomics. And once you can maybe adjust some ergonomics, maybe they need some home exercise or even formal physical therapy or occupational therapy. Sometimes bracing is required if needed, medications and injections if needed, and ultimately if needed, surgery. But Again, esports injuries are really no dissimilar to other injuries that people have. I see. When I've placed an ergonomic evaluation before, it's usually some large group or practice, and it's someone trying to do the flow of their work. So an ergonomist would go in and do it. And usually that ergonomist is on the payroll at whatever large institution. Is there a separate way you can get an ergonomic evaluation or or how does that work? Is that something that you have staff that do, or, or how do you go about that? No, as of right now, it's really on a on a case by case basis. So if someone has an esport injury, you try to figure out number one. There's different modalities of how people play video games. So number one, you want to look into that modality. 
Number two, once you figure out the modality, you kind of want to look at some of their habits, such as posture while playing, wrist position while playing. You can also investigate whether or not they have a specific type of keyboard. Do they need a better keyboard? Do they need a wrist pad when they play? There's, there's a lot of things that go into it, but we don't have at this time a specific person who will look at these people individually at, say, a quote-unquote workplace. You know, in my experience, I'll use a, for instance, when I see runners, if I tell them they need to stop running for a little while, I might as well tell them, give me their birthday. How do you modify the activities for these folks? Do you, you tell them, you know, you got to rest it for a while or, or how do you go about that? And again, that's a case by case basis. So in terms of esports, you know, there's two types of people, right? There's, there's the recreational people and then there's the professional people. Now, if you're recreational, uh, it's, it's easier to tell someone, hey, you might want to give it a break or make some adjustments to what they're doing. Now, if they're a semi-professional or professional person, good luck telling them to stop because this serves as a form of income to them. It's just telling someone to stop will not fix the problem. You might have to tell them to adjust what they do. You might have to have them take certain breaks throughout the day, but that's just not plausible for some of these people. Conversely, you know, switch it around. Let's say a plumber, an electrician who's self-employed, who uses their hands all day long comes in and tells you, hey, I'm having pain. It would sound silly to tell them, hey, you need to take a break. It just wouldn't fly. And again, forgive my ignorance, so there are professional esports in in semi pro, and I also read there are coaches and teams of gamers. Can you elaborate a little bit on that to educate me, if no one else? It sounds like it's a really big deal. Do they play for large purses, or or how does it work? The answer is yes. It's been around for a while, mainly in Asia, and for pre pandemic, it was building in the United States where. Even in the uh, city of Philadelphia, where uh, the metropolitan area where I live around is, they were about to construct a large esports arena to host games. And in other countries, and again, I'm talking pre-pandemic, people would travel and you would have the teams up on a stage playing in front of large crowds and they would broadcast their screens or games above them so people could see what they're doing. And... This brought in a lot of revenue, obviously, for multiple reasons. There are teams and there are coaches. There are players. Do they play for purses? The answer is yes, but usually it's by the end of the year. There's usually a championship at the end of the year. At the professional level, this is a full-time job for them. So, for example, at, at my orthopedic group, we used to cover the local city esports team who played a game called Overwatch, which is a... Um, first-person shooter game, it's a, and it's a team-based game. And we had a chance to talk with them, and they have long days. So they would typically start the day at 9 in the morning. They would play. All their games are recorded, so for the next hour or two after they're done playing, they would do film review with their coach, and this is the team and individualized. Take a break, do it again, two, three hours of play, two hours of film review. Take a break, do it again, one to three hours of gameplay, one or two hours of film review, and then that's about, say, a nice 10, 12-hour day, and then in between they have their media and or personal social media obligations. So these are long-day professionals who have to keep up with the grind of basically sitting in front of a computer most of the day. 
Well, I had no idea that it was so involved. I mean, I guess with hundreds of millions of people, you definitely have it. Changing gears just a little bit, but actually kind of right along that same line that you were just saying, how do they train? You just mentioned doing the video games, but I mean, if you're, well, I guess you're not stationary if you're playing the game, but if you're not moving around as much, do you do other training or, or do the athletes do other kinds of training? They do any physical fitness or how does that work? For me, at the professional level, when, I've, when I met some of these guys, I was actually surprised how actually physically fit they are. Now, these guys aren't, say, at the LeBron James level of physical fitness, but I'll tell you right now, most of them were not, say, you would consider OB. Like the, the, I think the picture in a lot of people's mind, they're obese, don't move around much. A lot of these guys will get regular exercise a day. And it's something that I also encourage people who say they want to pursue this as a professional level or want to try to pursue as a professional level is we always encourage these people to exercise and nothing, it's nothing that has to be fancy. I'm talking about three to four days worth of strength or resistance training three to four times a week intermixed with cardiovascular activity at least three times a week for at least 30 minutes a day. We're not talking a lot. And the reason why we encourage this is because I always tell the athletes that their bodies that sit in front of that computer, it's, it's a tool. You, your body is a tool and if your tools aren't properly sharpened, properly greased, it's going to break down. It's going to fail on you. And that's when your back starts to hurt, your elbows start to hurt, your wrists start to hurt. A lot of these athletes know this and they've taken this seriously. So they do work on their own personal physical fitness. And it really doesn't take a lot in terms of what they do in terms of physical fitness. I was reading further and additionally with the conditioning, there were conditioning coaches mentioned uh, sports nutrition, sports psychologist, very involved. Can you please just maybe comment on how a nutritional needs might be different for a, a gamer than someone else? I don't think nutritional needs are any different than, than a normal person. It's just about they need foods that are going to keep them awake and active. So the nutrition should focus on like low fatty foods, low grease foods. That's going to slow you down when you're saying because these players, these athletes are, have to be at a very, very, very high attention level when they play. In addition, with nutrition, you know, it's, I think one of those things that is touched upon is the use of caffeine. And it's something that has been marketed towards this uh, population. And you can see it in, in uh, marketing where a lot of these energy drinks are being marketed towards these, these athletes and these even young kids because they say it's going to help your performance. But so far, research has shown that these commercial energy drinks really don't help with performance. And I think that's where nutritionists need to come in and just educate our, our gaming community about there's no need for extra caffeine in your lifestyle when you're, when you're at this level. Right. And I'm sure there's some degree of a sports psychology that goes into this if you're spending eight to 10 hours a day gaming. It's very fascinating to me. I, I never even realized that this was a profession, but it, it certainly is. Dr. Rosero, thank you so much for being on the Ortho PAC. Enjoyed having you on talking about a topic that I admittedly don't know that much about, but I know more about it now. It's my pleasure. I was glad to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Rosero. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. Please follow the physician assistants in orthopedic surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.